This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Other animals live in the present. Humans cannot, so they invented hope. It's I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have a very full episode with every single one of our segments today as we're discussing I'm Thinking of Ending Things. We're going to get right into it. If you have not read or watched I'm Thinking of Ending Things, we're going to give you a brief summary of both the book and the film. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reid follows an unnamed female narrator as she journeys with her boyfriend, Jake, to meet his parents for the first time, despite the fact that she's been thinking about ending their relationship. Interspersed throughout the novel are also sections of dialogue between two unnamed characters who discuss, in increasing amounts of detail, another unnamed character who recently committed suicide. During the drive, the narrator and Jake engage in philosophical discussions and she reflects on their relationship. She also receives a phone call from what appears to be herself and reveals to the reader that this has been happening for a while. Sometimes the caller leaves voicemails that are varying degrees of disturbing. When she and Jake arrive at his parents' isolated farm, Jake shows her the sheep, including several dead lambs, and recounts a disturbing story about how they had to put down their pigs. Once inside, they wait for Jake's parents to come downstairs, and Jake shows her a photo that he says is him as a child, but it looks like her. His parents appear, and the four of them have an uncomfortable dinner in which his mom recounts her various uh, physical ailments. During dinner, the narrator sneaks into, uh, following dinner, rather, the narrator sneaks into the basement and discovers a series of disturbing paintings. She then goes into Jake's childhood bedroom, where she sees another photo that looks suspiciously like her and has a conversation, conversation with Jake's father about her relationship with Jake. She and Jake leave, and as they drive, Jake tells her that he has a brother that he no longer speaks to because he had a break with reality and was stalking Jake. They stop at a Dairy Queen and get lemonades, and one of the girls behind the counter tells the narrator that she's scared for her. As they continue to drive, Jake becomes fixated on throwing away their cups, so he takes a detour down a long, narrow road to the local high school. He throws the cups away in the dumpster, taking a long time to return to the car. They begin to get intimate in the car when Jake says that he saw the janitor watching them from a window and becomes angry. He goes inside the school to confront the janitor, leaving her alone in the car. She eventually decides to follow him inside. This is the point where the narrative gets really surreal and dreamlike, with the narrator having a series of bizarre experiences before the narration switches from I to we, and finally back to I as we end up in the janitor's point of view before he stabs himself in the neck with a metal hanger. 
Okay, so the movie is very largely similar. Uh, the early plot part, ugh, the early plot of the movie follows the book fairly closely, with a few minor changes that we'll discuss as we get into the episode. The main derivation comes at the end of the film when Lucy enters Jake's old high school. Lucy meets and has a brief conversation with the janitor. He offers her uh, slippers, similar to how Jake offered her slippers at his parents' house. Then the film deteriorates into a handful of surreal scenes, including a ballet dance number between a version of Jake, Lucy, and eventually the janitor that ends with the janitor stabbing Jake and killing him. Then we see the janitor get into his, into his snow-covered truck, where he ostensibly starts dying of hypothermia, maybe. He undresses and follows a talking dead pig into the school before we cut to a scene of uh, young Jake receiving a Nobel Prize in front of the rest of the characters from the film, all in theatrical old-age makeup. And then Jake sings a number from Oklahoma before we end on a shot of the janitor's truck completely covered in snow, sitting silently in the school's parking lot containing presumably the body of the dead janitor one we, we will discuss what's going on there at some point all right so that's the movie and the book if you have not read or watched them roughly you know there's a lot else a lot of other stuff but we're going to get into all of that here in just a second but before i get to my questions katie has some questions for me for me because we have the game show segment this week we're going to play guess who who are you no one of consequence i must know Get used to disappointment. Okay. Okay, I feel confident in your ability to get all of these. Here's our first one. He's long and sloping and unequal with jagged cheekbones, a little bit gaunt. His dark, full lips make up for this underfed look. Fat and meaty and collagenic, especially the bottom one. His hair was short and unkempt and maybe longer on one side, or texturally different, like he had distinct hairstyles on either side of his head. He was clean-shaven and wore thin-framed silver glasses. <sighs> I think that this is a little bit gone. I feel like that this could be Jake, but I don't think it is. One, Jake doesn't have glasses, although I don't think the other character I'm thinking of does. Or maybe he does at different times. I can't remember. I'm going to think that this is probably Jake's father. It's actually Jake. Okay. He looks it. quite a bit different in the movie than he's described yeah. in the book. Yeah, that doesn't really match. I almost went with Jake, but that doesn't really match what I would have anything really yeah. about the Jake, <laughs> uh, about uh, Jesse Plemons. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. You can get, definitely you can get the next three. <clears throat> okay. She's wearing so much makeup, I find it sort of unsettling. Her hair is dyed in inky black. It's glaring against her powdered white complexion and varnished red lips. She's dressed in an outdated blue-sleeved velvet dress with frilly white lace around the neck and sleeves. I feel like this... I don't, I don't know that I can get... I don't, <laughs> this doesn't match anybody that I find. Or this doesn't match anybody in the movie, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> wearing so much makeup, I find it sort of unsettling. Her hair is dyed in inky black. I, I'm trying to think. I mean, the mom, maybe, but I, that doesn't match anything in the movie of the mom. Uh, powdered white complexion, varnished red lips, outdated short sleeve blue velvet dress. The only thing I think is that the other one is the. Is the the woman who's in the, the ice cream shop maybe? 
but I don't remember her wearing a blue velvet dress. None of this. I. Why did you think I could get this? I don't feel like this matches any characters in the movie. I'm going to say the mom. It is the mom. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't. It, to me, it doesn't really like fit the mom particularly. I guess maybe in the <clears throat> the one scene where it's like the 50s. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't. Yeah. He's wearing socks and leather slippers, blue work-style pants, and a plaid shirt with the sleeves rolled up. His glasses hang around his neck on a string. He has a thin band-aid on his forehead just above his left eye. Okay, originally I would have gonna guess that this was the janitor for a second, but now looking at it, I would say this is the dad, the band-aid being the key giveaway. Yes, it is the dad. Okay, because yeah, he has a band-aid mm-hmm. on his head at the beginning when they first meet him, but otherwise I would, I don't, I, w- I think I would have gone for the the janitor just because of the blue work style pants but whatever okay last one you can definitely get this one she's skinny and frail her hair is long and plain and falls over her back and much of her face her hands are small she's not wearing any jewelry no rings or necklaces she appears fragile and anxious she has a rash a bad one okay this i would say is the 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 third uh, woman working in the ice cream store. Yes. I don't I don't think any of them do. No, names none of them have <clears throat> names. Or anything like that. So yeah. I mean obviously the rash <clears throat> is uh, I honestly this one actually fits pretty well overall mm-hmm. apart uh, unlike the rest of them. <laughs> this one actually does seem pretty pretty spot on. Okay. Well I did terribly, but that's fine. Well I got two of them I guess. Yeah. Could have been could could have been worse I guess. Uh, but I do have quite a few questions, and there's lots to talk about with this movie. So let's get into it in Was That in the Book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So the film opens up on, uh, well, I don't know if it opens up on this, but we start pretty quickly in on uh, our two main characters in a car driving to his parents' house. And the... Uh, this is Lucy and Jake. We will find out are their names. And Lucy, we we are privy to her thoughts. She is uh, kind of in her head thinking about their relationship and stuff. And this is where the title of the movie comes. She thinks to herself, she's kind of going through the relationship a little bit uh, and, and that sort of thing. But then at the end of this thought process, she says, I'm thinking of ending things, uh, meaning uh, ending their relationship. And when she thinks this to herself, Jake turns and looks at her and says, did you say something? And it seems as if he can hear what she's thinking. Uh, This will go on as the movie progresses to become clear as to why. But initially, I was interested to know if this element came from the book of uh, before we really know what's going on. Why does it seem like he can read her thoughts or hear her thoughts, I guess? Um, so there's not a specific moment like this that I can recall, but there is kind of a general vibe through the book um, of him like verbalizing things that she's been thinking about or like knowing things that ostensibly he wouldn't know. Yeah. That builds kind of similarly to how it does in the movie. Okay. So, yeah, they just put more of a a, a pin on it or, you know, they yeah. make it a little more. They kind of. Uh, draw a circle around it a little bit darker uh, by having him literally seem to like react to yes, her to thoughts, something that she's thought to herself, which we hear. Yeah. Interesting. OK. Uh, and then so obviously this whole she's thinking of anything is because their relationship is not working for her. Uh, and there's this very awkward tension throughout the whole film. But it, it comes in steep right at the beginning 
uh, where it's very clear that she is kind of attempting to humor him and their relation. They've only been dating for seven weeks in the film at this point, so not a particularly long time. And uh, things are already kind of, you know, falling apart. And, and we'll find out eventually that this relationship wasn't even one that she really wanted to begin with. Uh, and it was, she just kind of did it. And so now she's as their relationship is deteriorating a little bit. She's like humoring him. And it's the movie does such a good job of creating their conversation and and painting it in such a realistic and painful and uncomfortable way <laughs> to watch <laughs> that. It's just it all feels so real and awful uh the, again the way she like is humoring him and putting up with him uh and you know trying to like play along as best she can as so as not to like completely ruin this trip that they're going on but also it's clear that you know she doesn't she's just done with this relationship and it's all oh, it's very it's very awkward and i want to know if that whole feeling came from the book oh yeah for sure yeah um the, yeah that is the vibe in the book as well I, yeah, I mean, I assumed because I kind of figured that's what this whole thing was about was their relationship. Well, <laughs> it's more complicated than that. We'll get to that, what this whole thing is actually about. But uh, initially, at least sur surface level, uh, it does appear that that's kind of what this whole thing is about. Uh, and it is also what it's about underneath the surface. We'll get to it. It's complicated. Uh, there's layers here. It's like an onion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at one point in the car, as they're driving and they're driving through the snow uh, to get to his, his parents' house. She gets a call on her phone, and this happens throughout the course of the film several times, uh, and it actually builds up and ramps up over the course of the film eventually where she does answer it. But uh, this initial one, she gets a phone call from another person, from somebody. The caller ID pops up, and it says Lucy, which is her name we know at this point, so it seems maybe she's getting a call from herself, which seems weird. And again, we don't know what's going on here, but I wanted to know, does Lucy get a call from Lucy in the book? Yeah, so she's unnamed in the book. We never know what her name mm. is. But she does uh, recount receiving mysterious, unsettling calls from her own number. Okay. Um, it's been going on for a while in the book. Um, and what's interesting is that I think that this element must be at least part of what necessitated giving her a name in the movie. Yeah. Um, so that we could see that name pop up on her phone. I definitely could see that being part of it for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I really like what the movie did with it. Cause the movie like subtly changes her name throughout. Yeah. Sometimes she's Lucy. Sometimes she's like Lucia. Sometimes uh, she's Louisa. Yeah. Um, just like slightly similar, but different names, which is a thing that the movie does a lot with lots of elements is yes. to, to, to give it this sort of dreamlike surreal feeling is that things that have already been established will be recalled incorrectly or mm -hmm. you know, reiterated differently than they were stated the first yeah. time. And you have a note about that a little bit later um, that we'll talk about, but yeah, that's a recurring theme. And again, it's just part of what builds the surreality of this piece is that you're, you're, you're very clearly don't have a, uh, a um, reliable narrator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then as they're driving, we cut away. And I believe most of the time where we cut away, we actually still are hearing either their conversations or uh, Lucy's thoughts. But we, we cut away to go see now for the first time this man who is a janitor in a high school. And we just watch this old guy walk around and do his janitoring job. Uh, and it seems completely like a non sequitur. We'll obviously mm. get into what this all is eventually. Um, but it's actually, I say initially like a non sequitur, it's pretty quickly set up right away 
that there's something going on here because at one point Jake had mentioned that he has a line where he's like, they always did that show or something about them doing that show. And he, and he says, they, and she's like, who doing what? And he goes, Oh, Oklahoma, the high school Mm -hmm. that I went to, they always did Oklahoma or something like that. And during one of these first flashes of seeing this janitor, uh, we see him watching or we see the school doing a production of Oklahoma. And so Mm -hmm. it becomes very clear that something maybe is going on here. And initially I will set this up now. I did have one element of the movie spoiled in the sense that I knew that, and this is spoilers, obviously, but we're going to discuss it at length that uh, Lucy is not there. She's not a real person per se. Uh, But that was all I had spoiled. I did not realize that it went for like, I didn't know. Yeah, it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than that. And I also didn't know what that meant contextually. I just knew like, she's not Mm -hmm. like she's not a real person or whatever. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I did have that spoiled. But, uh, but at this point I was, I was wondering like, okay, so it seems like maybe this janitor is Jake, like from the future. That was my thought process at this point uh, or something like that. Maybe these are not happening at the same time. Maybe this is, or, you know, who knows? I wasn't sure, but it seemed a little bit like Jake was in fact, this janitor character. Uh, in some capacity and the movie I think teases that very quickly um, even though it's not like revealed officially till like you know much further into the movie anyways the side the side plot with the janitor and kind of cutting to this janitor that we do not know who it is initially does that element come from the book okay so there is a janitor in the book that is like ultimately where we end up similar to the movie is like with the janitor Mm -hmm. where everything converges kind of. Uh, But these sections in the movie are replacing sections in the book. Um, So there are intermittent sections of dialogue in the book between two unnamed characters and they're discussing someone that they know who recently committed suicide. Mm. Um, And I, I do prefer the movie's version. Those sections in the book kind of wore on me a little Um, They're not long, but I felt like they kind of disrupted the creepiness of the main narrative while simultaneously not serving much of a purpose beyond like narrative breadcrumbs, whereas the movie managed to give us those narrative breadcrumbs while still maintaining the creepy, unsettling mood. Yeah, and I think part of that is done because they have we're we're, while we're watching this janitor, we're usually hearing yeah lucy or their conversations over this to kind of keep these two narratives intertwined maybe Mm -hmm. better than they do in the book yeah and you meant you mentioned the oklahoma thing and that was that was a moment that i like particularly liked where they turn on the radio and a a randomly a song from oklahoma is playing and jake's like oh they do this every few years for obvious reasons yeah um and then we cut to like the janitor watching watching the production uh, of oklahoma yeah uh, I I did uh, think that uh, it was interesting. Oh, oh, I just had a thought and I lost it. Where'd it go? Um, it was. Uh, I can't remember. Never mind. Continue. Sorry, <laughs> I had a thought and I just lost it. So, 
Um, I do think it was interesting that you initially thought like, oh, the janitor is future Jake because like he kind of is. Yeah. In a way. Kind of. I, I think ultimately it's less that the janitor is Jake, future Jake so much or future self so much as Jake is the janitor's fantasy version of his younger self. Right. I think is ultimately. what. Yeah, it's, it's, I think that is a more accurate description <laughs> yeah. of what's going on. But like you weren't wrong per not, se. Yeah, yeah not exactly exactly wrong just kind of a different directionality or something coming at it but yeah not not entirely off uh, so uh, during this car drive we are also introduced to the fact uh, lucy's day job is she says she's a physicist although i think that changes that changes like several she's times like a, a biology researcher or something yeah. she's doing research on like rabies or something like she, that most of the time she works in some kind of science yeah but the thing that she is like studying or working changes. in constantly changes yeah, throughout the film at the end they're like oh she's a physicist and i'm like wait she was not a physicist at the beginning of the movie yeah. and again the movie does that a lot just to make you question what you know you you question your own recollection question everything you're seeing and hearing in the movie and what's true and what isn't and all that sort of stuff again because it is a, an unreliable narrator uh so but but we find out that one of her hobbies is that she likes to do po write poetry and jake asks her to recite her poem that she's been working on and she recites this big long depressing poem mm. on their drive uh and then at the end, Jake's like, oh, that's wow. And she's like, well, what does that mean? He goes, oh, I like it. It felt, it feels like it was written about me or for me, one of the two. And she's like, well, uh, okay, I guess if you say so. Uh, <laughs> and I wanted to know if that whole thing of Lucy being a poet and that poem scene came from mm. the book. Because I thought that was interesting. And especially where it goes later. Um, no, that is actually a movie edition. There's nothing mm. in the book about Lucy writing poetry um, or reciting poetry. Okay. So then they finally arrive at his parents' house, which is also like a farm. They have like a a barn and stuff with animals and stuff like that. Uh, but they arrive, and before they go inside, uh, we <laughs> when they get these repeatedly very creepy shots of his mom like staring at, like silhouetted staring mm -hmm. out the window at them. Uh, but before they go inside, he's like, oh, let me show you around the, the farm and stuff. And he shows her around, and they go into the barn, and she finds these dead lambs, like frozen there's some sheep in the barn and they talk about that for a minute, but then she finds these dead lambs sitting there and she's like, what, what is going on here? And he's like, Oh, they're fine. They're well, you know, they're frozen. So we'll bury yeah, them or get rid of them in the summer have to or whatever. Take care of them in the spring or yeah. something like that. But he's that. being very defensive and weird about it and like dismissive. And mm -hmm. it's all very strange. And she's like, what? Okay, I guess. And then he also tells her this story about, um, these dead, these pigs that died and about how one of them's, stomach rotted and there was maggots in it and it's like all really weird and and he's like why is he telling her any of this uh, and i want to know if any of that element of that stuff in the in the barn and stuff came from the books it was very strange and i will say it's maybe the one part that i i ha i was able to wrap my mind around least in terms of like what it meant what it was trying to do mm -hmm. other than be like creepy and weird <laughs> <laughs> Um, so actually all of this is directly from the book of uh, the dead lambs and the pig story and all of it. Um, and Jake's response to it as well. Yeah. Because she's like understandably like horrified yeah. and concerned by what's going on here. And he's immediately dismissive of that and like kind of cagey about it and yeah. doesn't want to really answer her questions or talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, did you do you have an, anything further later about like what this whole animal thing m could mean or what it is or 
Did you have any notes on that? Um, and if not, that's fine because I don't really have any good. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't have really like an, an amazing um, interpretation of yeah. what that portion means or anything. Yeah. Um, I I think at kind of a a surface level, it's contributing to this idea that like they go to visit his parents and this place is very run down. And like they obviously are not taking care of it, but mm. also none of it is real. Yeah. So what's actually happening here? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and the the pig will become important in the movie at least, because later we will see this pig again, as I mentioned in the in the the summary, uh when the janitor seems to be freezing to death, uh he's he hallucinates this dead pig with maggots like falling out of its stomach and it like is talking to him and leading him through the school. And uh, again, I'm not really sure where, why that, like, what I'm not really sure what any of this like means per se necessarily. Whereas I have a lot of thoughts about other elements in the movie, but this part, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, obviously, there's some illusions. Like, there's the maybe it's just kind of again, I it could just be literally setting up kind of a creepy atmosphere, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I mean, it also ties into the sort of gaslighty, like, dismissive. Uh, nature of Jake in the story anyways yeah where he is like kind of a terrible boyfriend and here she has these concerns about this thing and he just completely dismisses it and Mm -hmm. kind of elaborates on that theme a little bit more which we'll get into more later and also there's the um dead lambs is a very common literary and just artistic trope and like symbolism anyways obviously the phrase that you know like lambs to the slaughter there's all Mm -hmm. of these things at lamb the lamb of god jesus there's all right. there's like, lots I, of like symbolism yes, lambs are, into... are often um used as symbols of like new life new hope yeah um that kind of thing um so then you know you kill them yeah. and that's pretty obvious yeah. symbolism yeah yeah uh speaking of hope though that this is the, the the intro quote that i used it was one of my favorite lines in the movie and i wanted to know if it came from the book is that uh, as they're leaving the barn after all of this i believe lucy just thinks to herself i think is how this line is presented in the film from my memory uh she says other animals live in the present humans cannot so they invented hope and i thought it was a great line and, I, and i'm sure it's from something else actually because uh, spoilers everything almost mm-hmm. everything in this movie is a reference is a pull from something else and the movie even lampshades that fact at different points but there's a there's a line that i don't think i have written down somewhere where lucy points out that all of your thoughts are other people's thoughts that you're just reinterpreting and reusing uh and she like says something about that and then at the end is like and that's an oscar wilde quote and so Mm -hmm. the movie even lampshades this idea uh and if you don't lampshading just means like pointing out like pointing out the trope that you're engaging in basically by like um putting a lampshade on it being like look see that trope we know we're aware of this trope that's what we're doing. We're doing it intentionally. That's what lampshading is, essentially. But I wanted to know if that specific line came from the book, from your memory. I don't recall this line being in the book, and I don't have an ebook version of this to, ah, like, search for lines. Okay. Uh, but if if you recall it or if you can search for it, yeah. let us know for sure. Or if you know that it comes from something else. Yeah. Because, again, that actually would not surprise me if it if, if it's from Animal Farm or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, like, it wouldn't surprise me if this came from 
some other famous piece of literature because there this movie is f- chock full of references to stuff and i did not catch remotely all of them you would have to be incredibly well read to uh and well watched to get all of the illusions and references in this film uh and i did not even get close to catching all of them but then they get inside and uh i think this is maybe even before they meet his parents yeah um they he's kind of showing her a little bit of stuff and they're waiting for his parents to come down from upstairs and she sees the basement door and there's a basement door and it's got all these scratches on it and she's like what's going on here and jake's like oh don't worry that's just the basement don't go down don't worry about that it's i don't i'm i was always scared i didn't like the basement and she's like well what are those scratches and he goes oh that's the dog and she's like what dog we haven't seen a dog and he goes oh yeah the j- dog it's and she's like what kind of dog it is and he's like uh, it's a collie, I think, or something like that. And then all of a sudden, this dog just appears, <laughs> like walks up uh, and immediately, uh, you know, she kind of meets this dog and it's just shaking its head a lot, very strangely. And I love this whole sequence. And it becomes very clear in this moment that Jake is like creating yeah, this reality kind of as they go, or at least elements of this reality as they go again, because this dog did not exist. He explains away the scratches on the door by saying there's a dog and then has to create the dog that we haven't seen yet. And it just kind of comes in mm-hmm. and the dog is off. It's not, you know, it feels weird. It feels a little bit off again because it just kind of like shakes its head continuously and awkwardly. And it's all very strange. I want to know if that came from the book and that element. One, the dog specifically, the basement door, the scratches, um, but also just the element of Jake seemingly creating elements of the reality they're experiencing, like as the story progresses. So there are scratches like on the floors. Um, I don't remember if there's any specifically on the basement door. The basement is an element. And is it a similar book. basement or sim- well, we'll talk about it. I have another question about it, obviously, in a little bit here. But um, is it a similar thing at all with him? Like, I don't like the basement. Don't go down there or anything like that. Um, it's more like he's kind of dismissive of it. He's like, oh, it's just a hole in the ground. There's yeah, which nothing, he does say that exact there's, line. Like, there's the nothing movie. important down there. Yeah, he um, does say that also in the movie. There's like nothing down there. It's unfinished, blah, blah, blah. But he also alludes at times that it's like, I think there's some line where he's like, I didn't like it as a kid or I was scared or something like mm-hmm. that. And he kind of lends this like element of mystery and like creepiness to the basement that obviously leads her to eventually go explore down there but um but the dog part not not from the well he says sorry yeah because she asks about the scratches and he says that they used to have a dog but we don't ever see a dog in the book so i liked the movie's take on this Mm -hmm. um that kind of element of jake like creating the reality as they're going i did not get from the book okay um, but, but I liked that. Um, and, and then I liked that, like later on when she goes into his bedroom, she sees like the jar of ashes with the dog's yes, name with on the it. Dog's name and a picture that is yeah. clearly the dog we saw earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting too. Another element of the film that's really interesting is that time seems to pass kind of indiscriminately. Uh, you know, where they're driving for hours and hours and they're discussing stuff. And then all of a sudden, like in the middle of a conversation, Jake's just like, we're here. And they're like, literally like right yeah. outside of the house. Uh, and then later once they go and this happens a bunch of different times. But then later, once they go in, uh, they're kind of sitting around talking and like she's meeting the parents and they're like, oh, we should eat. And the camera swings around and they're all already seated in the dining room in, the, in front of a huge spread of food that was never prepared or never, you know, it just mm-hmm. kind of appeared or whatever. 
Uh, and it specifically, it's also funny because Jake mentioned on the drive up, they're like, oh, my mom's getting older. She so probably won't make a bunch of food, but then there's all this food. And it's all very interesting. But but the most important element here that I want to ask about is this this like sort of, again, the indiscriminate manner in which time passes in the film and jumps around. And we, we kind of skip through time similar to how a dream kind of operates for some people sometimes. And I wanted to know if that came from the book. So this isn't not an element in the book. It's definitely there, but the movie really emphasizes and elevates the funky way that time seems to pass in the narrative. Yeah. I, I definitely felt that this was a more prominent element in the movie than it was in the book. Yeah, you can do it very, and not that you can't do it in a very striking way in the in, in writing, but in the film you can do it just by purely in the edit. You can yes. create this very... Because we understand the way time is supposed to pass in a film. Uh, and when we're watching a film, we kind of have a... If you've watched movies and TV shows and stuff enough, you, you kind of understand the language of film and how things move. Uh, and I have a note about it later we'll talk about. But this movie breaks a lot of those rules very intentionally to, to put you on edge and to make it clear that time is not operating how it normally would. Yeah. <laughs> in, this, in this element, in this story that we're kind of being shown. So then they sit down and they have dinner. And during this dinner, uh, Lucy, uh, you know, they're talking and Lucy kind of very quickly starts taking on some of the mannerisms of Jake's mom. Uh, like they start laughing and their laugh is very similar in a way that's very creepy. Uh, and this whole dinner is very eerie and surreal. Uh, and, I, and the conversation is all so strange. And I wanted to know if that if this felt true to the book, if there's a dinner scene like this or and if the element specifically of Lucy kind of morphing into his mother in certain ways or adapting or adopting certain, you know, mannerisms of his mom uh, came from the book. So the dinner is awkward in the book and largely due to his mother yeah. um, and just like the way that she acts and the things that she says. Uh, Lucy taking on her traits isn't something that I got from the book, but I really enjoyed that addition in the movie. Yeah. Um, kind of playing with that like Freudian idea that men seek out women who remind right. them of their mother. Yeah. And then when Lucy and Jake's mother are in the same room, she suddenly seems to take on these personality traits that she did not previously have. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. I thought it was super fascinating. I liked it a lot. Again, we're going to, so uh, we do have a lost in adaptation section. It's not so much questions as I have some thoughts and, and uh, conversations that I wanted to have about thematically what I, I got out of this movie, what I felt like it was doing and what Katie felt like it was doing. So we're not going into a ton of like, detail here about like what we think all this stuff means and what the movie is saying uh we will get to that though in our lost in adaptation section and some other spots here and there so don't worry we're we're not just skipping over all the meaty interesting conversation uh we we will we will get to it so then uh during after dinner they're kind of looking around the house and at one point lucy sees a framed photo on the wall of this kid that she's like that's me and she thinks it's her as a kid and jake's like what no that's me and she's like, well, are you sure? That looks like me, uh, which is obviously will become very important. But I wanted to know if this moment of the photo that she thinks is her and Jake's like, no, that's me comes from the book. Because it's a, it's one of our clues of what is going on here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there are actually two instances of this in the book. 
Uh, one is the photo in the living room, similar to what we saw in the movie. And then there's another photo that she sees in Jake's bedroom uh, that she initially thinks is his ex-girlfriend. But mm. that picture also looks suspiciously like her. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So then uh, as the night goes on at the house, she realizes she has a bunch of missed calls uh, from Lucy, Luciana, all different versions of her own name, basically. Uh, and she even has some voicemails, and eventually she does call her voicemail and, and hear one of these messages. It's very creepy, very weird, some seemingly dude's voice, uh, kind of rambling nonsense. Uh, but but ultimately, it kind of boils down to this voice telling her there's one question to answer. There's one question, that kind of thing. Again, very creepy, sets the ambiance in the film very well, puts us all on edge. Uh, but I want to know if that phone call came from the book or that, that element of her of her actually listening to the calls from herself. And it's it's this very strange thing. Um, yeah, the voicemails from herself are actually something that I felt the movie toned down from the book mm -hmm. um, as a recurring element, much like the, just the caller in general is uh, there is at least one time in the book that the voicemail includes the line. There's just one question to answer that might've popped up multiple times. I don't recall specifically, yeah. um, but it, that line is from the book. Um, but there's also a super creepy voicemail in the book where the person who leaves this voicemail talks about knowing her feet and hands and skin Ugh. yeah that was my reaction yeah. <laughs> like no thank you <laughs> yeah no thanks gross weird so then uh she goes up and she explores jake's room for a little bit which has a sign on the door which we'll talk about later which i thought was fun but uh she goes in and she's looking at his childhood room and in there she finds a book that is a book of poetry but we also see uh, there, he, they have referenced lots of things, both her and him, during the drive up and all this stuff. And and if you look at in his room during this scene, as the camera scans over the shelves and all that sort of stuff, a lot of the stuff that has been mentioned or that has mm -hmm. come up to this point is in is media or books or posters or whatever in his childhood room. Uh, again, just more clues, hints, ideas as to what's going on here. Um but she ultimately finds this book that has uh, it's a poetry book and she opens it and starts reading one of these poems. And it is literally the poem she claimed to have written uh, on the drive and recited on the drive up. And I wanted to know if her finding that in the book came from the book because I, I liked that theme. No, that does not happen in the book. Right. Oh, that's right. Because you said she doesn't do <laughs> yeah, poetry. Yeah. The poetry thing is not. That's a movie invention. Yeah. Uh, that was a very effective way. Again, I, it's a yeah, fun little no, creepy super effective. clue of, yeah, what's going on. It's like, oh, look, the poem that she thought she wrote is actually a pre-existing thing that Jake has read before. So uh, another thing we see over the course of our evening at Jake's parents' house is that as the, the evening progresses, Jake's parents get progressively older um, and kind of jump around. It's not just getting older, but generally speaking, they get older over the course uh, of the thing. And they, they like get in, in more and more um, advanced, like old age makeups, uh, eventually ending with seemingly Tony Collette's character, the mom dying or being in, you know, basically like on her deathbed. Um, we also see uh, David Thewlis, uh, who plays the dad, Jake's dad, kind of very clearly suffering from dementia and they have a very interesting conversation about dementia and stuff. And I want to know if this element of them like aging and seeing the different stages of their life and stuff came from the book. Because I thought that was also very, very, very cool. 
Uh, I would not say that this is from the book. Um, so in the book, Jake's parents do both like kind of subtly change appearance over the course of the evening. But the movie really dials this up to 11 by showing them at like wildly different ages yeah. throughout the night. Uh, I really liked this. I thought it was super unsettling. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that on kind of a different layer, it's an interesting depiction of what it can feel like to meet your partner's parents yeah. or like see their childhood home. Um, that feeling of like being confronted with multiple layers of their life yeah. all at once. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and, and we'll get into it, but there's, so many reads and layers to this movie where you can w look at some of the elements in this scene, like or in this in the house, you know, the dinner, the the visiting his parents. You can almost watch that completely in isolation mm -hmm. as its own thing, devoid of everything else that happens in this movie and where it goes. And it's just a, on its own, a very interesting and kind of uh, well thought out layered uh, exploration of yeah meeting your spouse's parents and explore mm -hmm. visiting their childhood home just that scene on its own uh, and I think that is really cool and interesting and then obviously it loops around to have even more different meaning once we find out ultimately kind of what's going on in the story but it is again self-contained very effective just on its own I think yeah for sure as I mentioned earlier, the basement, she does eventually decide to go kind of explore the basement. I believe somebody might even. Oh, uh, the mom asks her to throw some laundry in the washer. She has mm -hmm. like a nightgown that's got like baby food on it. And she's like, oh, here, put this in the washing machine in the basement. Uh, and she heads down there before Jake is, can realize and stop her. She goes down to the basement and she opens. Uh, she finds the washing machine that is running. She opens it. And she starts pulling the clothes out that are in it. And it's all the janitor's outfit. It's like mm -hmm. multiple uh, versions or not versions, multiple uh, uh, of the janitor's outfit being washed, uh, which we have seen several times, like I said, to this point through the movie being washed in the washing machine. Again, yet another clue hint of what's going on. I wanted to know if that came from the book. But then also after she finds that also in the basement, she discovers all of this art. Uh, and earlier in the film, when she was meeting the parents, she discussed that she also did art and she was showing them some of her art. And we're now seeing that same art in the basement. And it turns out Jake was painting this and he was copying some other artist. It seems like there's yeah. a bunch of art on the wall from some artist. And then it looks like Jake had been like recreate, kind of trying to recreate that, these paintings, basically. Uh, and it's her paintings. And I wanted to know if either the laundry thing or the, the painting element came or came from the book because so I, I loved both of those moments so no laundry in the book that's just in the movie uh, but there are paintings in the basement however they are not like these landscapes that the narrator thought she painted um but they are super creepy like portraits yeah um and i just want to read a description of one of them because it was maybe one of the more horrifying things Jeez, in okay. the book I get closer to the painting. The piece is full of wild, heavy brush strokes and some very specific detail. It's a portrait of a space, a room. It might be this room, this basement. It's dark, the painting, but I can see the stairs, the concrete slab, the shelves. The only thing that's missing is the furnace. In its place is a woman, or maybe a man. It's an entity with an individual, an individual with long hair 
standing slightly bent over with long arms, long fingernails, really long, almost like claws. They aren't growing longer, sharper, but they look like they are. At the bottom corner of the painting, there's a second person, much smaller, a child. Um, and then she goes on, where is that? To describe, um, there are a bunch of other like drawings and paintings that are all very similar, mm -hmm. like different iterations of the same like creepy Weird, kind of demonic thing. figure. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I will say, I think I, I can under, I think I understand why the movie decided to change it because I, I think yeah. that might be too clearly like horror film. Mm -hmm. Whereas this movie wants to be deeply unsettling and creepy and horrifying, but not that way. I feel like it doesn't. Yeah, want no, you to, I agree. You know what I mean? Like it, it's not creepy because there's like a weird long fingernail demon <laughs> hunched into <laughs> shadows. Uh, it's creepy because it's it's it's. It, it's surreality it's it's this slight shade off it's this slight um layer off from our reality and everything feels just a little bit wrong mm -hmm. and and that is what creates kind of the horror of the film and i think it's really interesting and effective and so yeah i bet they changed that just to make it a little less kind of like it's a horror movie like look mm -hmm. how scary this like yeah i think that would feel maybe a little too on the nose for what the movie's doing so then uh, after their night uh, there, uh, they end up leaving. It's time to go. So they get back in the car and they're going to head back home because Lucy has to work in the morning and they're driving. And during this drive out of nowhere, I don't remember even what in the conversation, what leads into this, but Lucy kicks into like an entirely different character becomes like this 1920s. And I'm sure she's reading an actual review from some real critic, mm -hmm. but she starts reciting this review of the film, uh, a woman under the influence. Uh, and which I have not seen, I'm sure it's inspirational or not, you know, I'm sure it's makes, I'm sure it's referenced for reasons that yes. are very specific, but I have not seen the movie, so I don't know for sure. Um, but she's kind of going on and, and, and she's like reading, she's reciting this review of the movie, a woman under the influence and Jake's kind of listening to her. Uh, and the review itself kind of boils down to the, the reviewer critiquing the film for being aimless and transient among other things. Uh, and I was like, Oh boy. And at this point now we have become super meta. Like the, <laughs> the we, we have a review for a movie that, and he's reviewing his own movie in his movie with a, a character doing a different character. It's very interesting. I wanted to know if this whole super meta 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 review <laughs> moment <laughs> came from the book. Oh, uh, no, none of this is from the book. Okay. <laughs> it's just the movie being, as you said, super meta. Like, yeah, like, holy cow, very interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, it, I thought it was fascinating. I really enjoyed that scene. And I, again, I think it's, I don't know, we'll talk more about it, about this, well, everything. So uh, also at the end of the scene, there's a great moment where once I think Lucy is now back in her character. And I don't remember who says which line. I think... I'm pretty sure Jake says the first line uh, and kind of jokingly, but uh, he says something along the lines of God never gives us more than we can bear. And Lucy responds kind of dismissively. Uh, God's a good egg that way. Uh, and it made me chuckle. And I wanted to know if line <laughs> came from the book. Um, again, I don't recall this line being in the book, um, but if you know more about it, 
let us know. Okay. Uh, but then, so they decide they want to get a snack. So they're they're talking about, oh, well, there we saw this ice cream place on the way up called uh, Tasty Town or something like that. I think it was Tasty Town, something yeah. Something like that. Uh, and they're, he sings like the, Jake starts singing like the theme song mm-hmm. for Tasty Town, this ice cream place. And uh, during it, there's a line about how um, the ice cream is sweet and cold or something like that. And Lucy responds uh, by saying, oh, sweet and cold, kind of like your mom. And Jake kind of like chuckles and laughs at that and then goes quiet and goes, what do you mean by that? And it's, oh, that scene, like the hair on the back of my neck stood up. It's so good and horrifying and creepy and perfect and awful and i just wanted to know if that exchange came from the book so none of that is from the book but i totally agree with you it is a great moment it's so good and it's again we'll get into kind of what my whole read of this of all of this is and jake and everything and obviously we'll get into what ultimately happens here at the end very shortly but yeah that moment is is great Uh, so they get to the ice cream store and uh, they get to the ice cream store. And at this point, I have kind of figured out, I think, sussed out what is going on here is, is the sense that uh, at least to the extent that, again, knowing that Lucy is not real without really knowing what else was real or what wasn't or whatever. We get to this ice cream store and there are these two blonde women at the ice cream store initially. And Jake's being very cagey and weird about like not wanting to see them or not mm-hmm. wanting to like. Uh, certain people are working. He would. He doesn't want to see them because they're they're weird or whatever. Uh, and so he's trying to figure it out. And these two blonde girls and they kind of like looking at Jake and and snickering and like kind of comment like like whispering to each other and stuff like that. It's all very strange. And then a third girl comes out who's like a brunette and she seems very meager and kind of scared. And and she comes up and talks to Lucy and Lucy actually orders ice cream from her and she makes her the ice cream and she has uh, Lucy also or not Lucy. This this girl has these uh, this rash on her arms and all that sort of stuff. Um, And to me, what I read from this scene as which I thought was interesting uh, because she has the same rash that Jake does. We see Jake at different times with these rashes on his arms. And to me, I kind of interpreted this as like so this whole thing is a fantasy that Jake has created. This is this whole story, this whole going uh, to meet the family with his girlfriend and all of this is this sort of rom-com that he has created. Mm-hmm. It's not a kind of, it's the world's worst rom-com, but it is a <laughs> rom-com that he has created. Also, there was an element earlier, which I actually was going to meant to ask if this came from the book, because I think it's a super important element where we see the janitor watching a rom-com. Mm-hmm. in the janitor world uh, that we then elements of that rom-com get worked into yeah. the story with Jake and Lucy, where basically Jake describes at one point how they met. And he describes the scene from the rom-com we were watching of her like yeah. uh, being at a restaurant or whatever, working as a waitress. And it's super interesting. Um, but the way I interpreted this again, so now that I'm kind of realizing this whole thing is like a fantasy of Jake's creation, Jake slash the janitor, that uh, these I kind of vi- envisioned or viewed this this ice cream parlor as like the place where Jake keeps the earlier iterations of the women that he created for this fantasy that are like 
the, the you know the the beta models or whatever uh-huh. and, and so i kind of interpreted like the uh the blondes are like the hot dumb girls that he created and that he didn't really like and they didn't like him and so then he tried again and he created the the third girl we see who's um kind of like lucy she's more she's she looks more like lucy she has mm-hmm. dark hair she's kind of the classic smart sensitive brunette you know that sort of thing uh and i i thought it was super interesting i want to know if any of this came from the book if you're um if if you viewed these as like earlier iterations of lucy to some extent or what you're reading on this was if it came from the book or even if it didn't come from the book what you're reading of it of was in the movie we'll talk about the scene so the scene is pre- very similar to the book. They stop at a Dairy Queen in the book, and uh, they first interact with two girls behind the counter. They aren't specifically labeled blonde in the book, but okay. the narrator notes that they look kind of oddly similar. Yeah. Um, and then the brunette girl with the rash comes out, um, and it's, it's very similar from there. Yeah. Uh, I like your interpretation of it. I think it's really interesting. It was not the same interpretation mm. that I got. Okay. Um, so my interpretation was that these are kids who go to or maybe at one point went to the high school that he works at or could even be like previous classmates of his, people he uh, knew okay. as a student. Yeah. Um, so like some blonde mean girls who mock him, make fun of him. Yeah. Um, and then like an uncool girl who probably showed him sympathy mm. one time. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, You know, like how in a dream your brain will mash up random things from your life. Yeah. Um, and there was a brief shot in one of the earlier janitor scenes where there are two female students making fun of You're the way that right. he walks. But I, I would have to go back to see if they were the same as the girls at the ice cream like place. I feel like they were younger than the... Like, I feel like the girls in that scene in the beginning where they're kind of, like, making fun of the janitor were younger than the girls mm-hmm. in the ice cream parlor. But it's still... Even if they were, it could be meant to be the same characters. Yeah. That actually would be interesting. That could make sense. Huh. Yeah. No, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, I thought it was a very fascinating scene. It's obviously a very one of the more surreal scenes in the movie because, again, they're just at this weird ice cream shop in the middle of nowhere in a yeah. blizzard. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's very interesting. But yeah, uh, I think two very interesting, valid uh, kind of interpretations mm-hmm. of that scene there. Um, also, to address the other um, scene that you brought up real quick, oh, the, the, the fake m- Robert rom-com. Zemeckis yeah. movie yeah. Is, is not from the book. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was great. I we both cracked up when at the end of like they, we see this whole scene play out. Yeah, and then it just does credits roll and it just says directed by Robert Zemeckis. And I don't know why I found that very funny, <laughs> but we both found that very funny. Uh, and yes, that is okay. So that doesn't interesting, interesting. Okay, uh, then so they get the ice cream. They leave. They decide they don't really want the ice cream, and now it's just sitting in the car. And Jake wants to get rid of it because he's like, oh, it's just gonna melt and get sticky everywhere. I gotta find somewhere to throw this away. So he's like, oh, my high school's really close by. We can drive there, and I'll just drop them in the trash can there. So they do eventually get there after a while. It takes them longer than Lucy feels like it should. And then they get there, and Jake goes in to throw them away. And we do eventually see him throw these away. But when he does it, he throws them into a dumpster with hundreds of other of these same identical like ice yeah. creams. Uh, again, kind of. Uh, reinforcing the idea that this is not the first time this fantasy scenario this story has played out that he has done this lots of times Uh, and i wanted to know if that little detail came from the book because i thought that was interesting Uh, that was not from the book that i can recall okay 
so then he disappears into the school. Well, they start to make out for a minute, but then he he has this weird flash, and he's like, oh, the janitor was spying on us. I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind. And he runs into the school, and then after a, a bit of sitting there, Lucy's like, oh, I guess I got to go find him, because she starts to, like, freeze, and then she gets locked mm-hmm. out of the car. So she's got to go into the school and find Jake. She gets inside, and she does eventually bump into the janitor, and she's like, hey, I'm looking for my boyfriend. And she starts to, and he's like, oh, I don't know. Can you describe him? And she starts describing him, but she doesn't describe physically what he looks like. She describes the nature of their relationship. Yeah. And she goes on this big, long existential rant about how she doesn't remember or care about him and about how they met. Like, it's just, it's all about, like, she doesn't really care about him and it, and blah, blah, blah. And then she gets to the end of this and kind of <laughs> wraps this all up by saying, you haven't seen anyone fitting that description, have you? And we both died laughing at this part. I thought it was a fantastic moment. I loved it so much, and I wanted to know if it came from the book. It is not from the book, but I I absolutely loved that scene. Yes, I, I just the 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 I love how she just veers off into this yeah. completely insane. And we get like what for the first time what feels like something far closer to the truth yes where she starts talking about how he this weird guy at the bar wouldn't stop staring at her yes and, and so she's she, like, like how am kinda... i how am i supposed to describe this guy that i saw once 20 years ago or whatever yeah and she just gave him his number because she had no other choice she's always kind of been a yes person or whatever yeah. i thought that was i thought that was great um, but the closest similar thing in the book is towards the very end uh, when the the janitor, Jake, and the narrator have all kind of glommed into one yeah. person. Um, and he's thinking about how maybe things would have been different if he had given that girl his number, but he mm. couldn't and he never saw her again. So we actually almost get in the book like a confirmation that this all sparked from an actual event. Yeah. Which I don't know if the movie necessarily gives us that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the idea that this is the janitor. And so to round this all out, um, before we get kind of into it, the janitor and Jake are the same character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of this has been created. Everything we're seeing is has been created by the mind of the janitor, who is Jake, essentially, uh, kind of playing out and creating this, again, this rom-com yeah. Uh, fantasy. It's like rich inner fantasy. Yes, it's rich inner fantasy because he loves Robert Zemeckis films and he loves all this media. And so he but he leads a very isolated, like lonely, kind of sad life. And so he creates these these fantasies of, of what his life could have been, should have been, wishes it would have been that sort of thing. Um, So that's kind of where we ultimately end up. And the uh, so. But the movie, like I said, never really gives us a concrete confirmation that this all sparked, this whole fantasy story sparked from an actual encounter with an actual person, with mm-hmm. with with the Lucy, like the real Lucy at some point, you know, yeah. 50 years ago yeah. or whatever. Uh, whereas it sounds like the book actually makes it, and, and the movie alludes to that idea, but it sounds like the, the book actually makes it a lot more like concrete that that is in fact kind of what happened there. So then uh, the movie takes another fantastic turn that I want to know if it came from the book, because all of a sudden, after she talks to the janitor for a few seconds, she goes to try to find Jake and Jake walks out from a doorway and then uh, they're standing and staring at each other in the hallway of the school. And then another version of Jake walks out and stands behind him. And then another version of Lucy stands, walks out and stands behind her. 
and then they start dancing and they do a ballet. Yeah. Uh, the two alternate versions of Jake and Lucy, Lucy start doing this ballet, big romantic fun dance number through the hallways of the school. Uh, there's a great little moment where they like go past some water fountains and they spray like, mm-hmm. again, very musical moment. And I wanted to know if any of that came from the book because I, I really enjoyed all of this a lot. I thought it was so fun and different. Um, so the dream ballet, um, also, I believe, a reference to Oklahoma. Oh, okay. As well. Um, it, it is not from the book, but I, I did really enjoy it. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a, a great kind of surreal, fantastical way to, like, help illustrate what's going on here. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> so then the ballet ends. Uh, janitor version of ballet janitor uh, murders ballet Jake, his mm-hmm. younger self, his self that uh ruined everything basically and or you know didn't <laughs> didn't set their li- his life down the path that the janitor version of Jake future Jake wishes they had so he murders him uh and then we move forward and the janitor leaves the school goes and gets in his truck and sits there and does nothing sets his keys down and i i i get i got the implication that time passed here that we don't see pass and what i'm interpreting this or interpreting this all as is the janitor is dying is that he gets in his car and uh, starts suffering from hypothermia, hypothermia because all of a sudden he starts like taking all of his clothes off, and then mm-hmm. we skip the hallucinating like the the cartoon pig that shows up and like leads him back into the school, and he's walking around naked, following this dead maggoty pig into the school. To me, I I was I was taking this actually fairly literally, or at least literally in the sense of like. Uh, I think we're actually seeing the the death throes of a man suffering from hypothermia. And I wanted to know if this whole sequence came from the book. None of this is from the book. Um, we did mention uh, in our Let Me Sum Up that the end of the, the movie is the main place where it deviates pretty far from what the book does. Um, so at the end in the book, the janitor, Jake, and the narrator, Lucy, all combine um, so the narrative switches from I to we, and then eventually back to I mm. at the very end. Um, and then at that point, another voice tells the janitor, you can do this. You have to help me now. And then he kills himself. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I got more of a mental illness vibe from oh, the book. Um, like... And, yeah. and again, I I am not this I'm not, not a, a medical professional, yes. um, but maybe more like schizophrenia or some kind of like personality disorder. Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely not the way I got it in the movie. I will say that I think you can definitely interpret the ending of the movie as the janitor killing himself mm-hmm. uh, of basically letting himself die of hypothermia, essentially. Again, I, I'm just pretty sure that's what's transpiring. And again, this is kind of confirmed by the end of the movie. Um, we see the truck completely yeah, snowed like over snowed and silent over. and it, it, I, the implication being that the janitor is dead in there um and but it is uh like a well-known uh side effect or whatever or symptom of hypothermia is that when it when it gets really bad to some point people will actually feel hot and start taking their clothes off mm-hmm. even though they are actively freezing to death and so i definitely think that's kind of what's going on here and then the hallucination with the pig and all that sort of stuff i think it's definitely what's going on but i, I think it's very much up in the air whether or not you want to deter- interpret that as the janitor intentionally killing himself or somehow i don't know something happening and him just dying of hypothermia yeah. accidentally somehow 
Um, I again, I I would lean towards the suicide explanation, but interesting. Okay, so not not in the book. That's definitely different. <laughs> so then, uh, my last question I want to know because after that all happens, we see the janitor walking around naked and all stuff. All of a sudden, the, I think the pig tells him we got to get you ready for something, and then we see uh, Jake walk out onto a stage in an auditorium in front of all these people, and he's receiving a Nobel Prize, and he has theatrical old age makeup and all the people in the crowd which is all of the different characters from the movie up until this point including lucy and his parents and the girls from the ice cream shop and other people um all have this very theatrical like grease paint yeah very heavy-handed uh, old age makeup and he gives this speech for this award he received and again to me this is all just the death throes of, of the janitor's brain you know mm -hmm. this is the 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 going through the final moments as he's is heading towards the light and this is like the chaotic firings of his dying brain um but the the it, he gives this Jake gives this speech and I recognize this and I was like that is literally the speech from the end of a beautiful mind mm -hmm. uh which again the point is that all of this stuff is all references because this this man lives in a fantasy world created from the media and stuff that he has consumed his whole life is references basically the janitor um, because he does not, he did not live his own life. He's lived vicariously essentially yeah. through these stories. Um, and so, yes, he gives the exact speech down to the word and the shots and everything from the end of <laughs> a beautiful mind. Uh, and then that moment ends and he walks off to the side of the stage and then bursts into a musical number from Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, and then everybody gives him a standing ovation. <laughs> uh, and then we cut and we see the end of uh, the snow falling on the car in the parking lot and the movie ends. Uh, but I want to know if the, the, the speech, the Nobel prize speech and the Oklahoma number, <laughs> if those <laughs> came from the book. Um, so that is literally the speech from a beautiful literally mind. The I've exact never seen speech. it. And he's doing the exact same performance and everything. And, and okay. all in that they, people are in old age makeup, not, not terrible, like theater <laughs> old age, but like they're, they've, cause it's at that point in the movie, we've jumped forward in time, uh -huh. like 20 years or something. So, the characters are in old age makeup and stuff like that, but he has the same speech and he gives the, the line about like his wife being his reason or whatever. And like looking at Lucy and the, it's all identical. Yeah. Um, so none of it is from the book. Um, I think the meta elements in this movie are really interesting though. Um, and also a quick note, um, because I don't know if you caught it when he does the number from Oklahoma at the end, the set piece behind him is his bedroom is his best childhood yeah. bedroom. Yeah. yeah. I did notice it had a lot of the same stuff from his childhood bedroom on the, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah which I thought was interesting for sure. Um, yeah. But I, I think the way that this movie uses um, meta elements is really fascinating. And I have more thoughts on that coming off of your thoughts in the next segment yeah that was all my questions we've been through all the stuff that i was interested to see if it came from the book and a lot of it did uh like you said I, we were talking about this afterwards you had said it's a fairly faithful adaptation but the end just kind of makes some very mm -hmm. big changes but other than that there's a lot of elements that do kind of come directly from the book all right so let's get into lost an adaptation just show me the way to get out of here and i'll be on my way wow was a lost yes Yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. So usually what Lost in Adaptation is, if there's something I was, like, confused about, like, or, uh, or trying to find clarification on and hoping maybe the book provides more context, not really what I'm going to do this week because 
I was confused about everything and intentionally, but like uh, I, there wasn't anything particularly that I felt like I needed more from the book on. Uh, Cause I think the movie gives you everything you need. Um, so more so I wanted to, I thought this would be a good place to just discuss thematically what's going on here and kind of break it down and, and what we thought about it and all that sort of stuff, obviously beyond we'll get into that even more and some odds and ends and final verdict and all that sort of stuff. But I just wanted to have a discussion about what's going on in this movie. And I want to start this by saying that I think this is the most pretentious thing that I've seen that I've also enjoyed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen more pretentious things. Yes. Uh, but I did not enjoy them to the extent that I enjoyed this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I thought the thing that was really interesting to me, uh, a note that I had here, is that this movie f- it feels to me like a movie that dares to ask, what if incels were able to introspect and create brilliant art? Um and in this context, I'm talking about Charlie Kaufman himself. When I guess when I say what if a movie dares to ask, what I mean is uh, this movie is an example of the question. What if incels could introspect and create brilliant art? Uh, this is all that's also obviously tongue in cheek and a bit of a joke because I, I, some of history's greatest artists have kind of famously been incels. Yeah. So I'm not. But it is, I think, it, a very interesting element to the movie because ultimately what i got from this and what i kind of when i sunk my teeth into it and tried to figure out what i thought this movie was saying and kind of what the main thing it was getting to and it was kind of twofold uh and i thought the first one is that i thought it was really interesting exploration of the way that men and and we're talking here about this movie is about a man and a woman cis heteronormative Mm -hmm. relationship so that's the context of what i'm going to talk about this in but i thought the movie kind of explores the ways in which men can sort of subsume women in their relationships, how very often the relationships of the man or the relationship, the interests of the man kind of take precedence over the interests of the woman in the relationship. Uh, And the movie I think is doing, showing us this and exploring this surreally through by way of having her literally not be her own real person Mm -hmm. by having her be this creation her interests are his interests. She just doesn't realize it initially because he created her uh, and he creates her as this partner that he wishes he had, that he wishes he could bring home to his parents who has all of the same interests and likes all of the things he likes. Yeah. Um, And so I thought that was super interesting. And then I think there's even a second kind of pulling back a meta level to that, which is the commentary on how male filmmakers, men, filmmakers directors writers will often use and i think this can even extend beyond i mean not i think it definitely can extend beyond film to literature or whatever um where men creating something writing something will often use the women leads in their film book whatever as their mouthpiece to kind of say things that they wish they could and i feel like because we see a lot of that throughout this movie there's instances where where Lucy will say something kind of edgy and like mm-hmm. off color. And then Jake will kind of be like, well, I don't know, you know, not that there's anything like she'll say, she'll make like make a joke about like gay people or something, not make a joke, but like there's one exchange in particular where she says something about somebody being gay or something. And, and Jake kind of, and this happens multiple times, but Jake then kind of like provides like the PC, like, counter narrative to whatever she said a little bit and it felt to me like charlie kaufman was examining the way in which men can often kind of um 
pilfer their views through not pilfer um like sift their views through the medium of the women in their movies almost denying them agency twice in a way that's really mm-hmm. interesting uh and it felt to me like this had to be a deeply uncomfortable movie for charlie kaufman <laughs> to make and this is what i was getting at when i said if an incel could introspect and create brilliant art because to me it felt like charlie kaufman was doing some really deep introspection here and i i want to clarify all this by saying i've not seen any other charlie kaufman mil- movies so maybe this is a theme in a lot of his movies. Maybe this isn't the first time he's been exploring this. But to me, it almost feels like him, a filmmaker going, oh, man, I've kind of just, I've always used women as mm-hmm. mouthpieces for my, what I want to say in my movies and not let them be their own characters. And I thought that was, a again, assuming that's what he's going for, I got that a lot out of this. Yeah. And assuming that's what he was doing. Uh, very interesting and it must have been a very like i said a very deeply uncomfortable <laughs> uh script <laughs> to write and a movie to work on because it would have had to take an immense amount of introspection and self-criticism and that sort of thing so i wanted to get your take on all that if yeah. you felt similarly or where 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 you kind of came down so the depiction of lucy is a really really interesting element of the movie to me because it is done in a different way than what the book does. It's a similar kind of thematic outcome, but the book and the movie are doing it differently. So the narrator is a fantasy that Jake has created. When you say the narrator, right? you mean Lucy. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, fe- the woman. Yeah. But we don't know very much about her, despite being in her point of view for most of the book. At one point, near the beginning she says that she used to be a student but she's not anymore Mm -hmm. and that's about the extent that we know um jake however is a scientist and he's studying for his phd and she's impressed by that yeah so she's kind of a blank slate of admiration for him Mm -hmm. but her backstory and who she is and what she does are not important. Right. They're not important enough to include right. in the fantasy. Um, contrasted to what the movie does, which is basically to imbue her with all of these various talents and dreams that Jake wanted for himself but could not attain. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I find that the difference in those two things no, it is, really it interesting. Is, it, it, it actually does the same thing, just in different ways. Yes. It, it takes agency away from the woman character. The, the, and I... I'm going to say female character just because it flows better in my head, but I know that's obviously is a weird baggage, blah, blah, blah. But the female character, um, it, it, it takes her agency away in both instances or, or, and takes away her uh, meaning in both instances. It just does it very differently. One, by slapping everything that Jake wants onto her in the movie. And then the second one, just not care or in the book, just not literally not caring about her perspective at all. Yeah. And the movie does also doesn't care about her perspective, but it does that by making her perspective jake's perspective basically yeah um but another thing that i find really interesting about this and also the movie's use of meta elements and we touched on this earlier um is the fact that jake actually doesn't create anything um the poem that lucy writes that she finds later in one of his books um and then we get the random clip from the fake robert zemeckis movie about the waitress falling in love with a guy and then like a couple minutes after that, the backstory with Lucy changes to that he met her when she was working as a waitress, whereas before it was that they met at like a bar trivia yeah. night. Yeah. Um, and then the paintings in the basement 
um, are paintings that he was copying from an art print hanging on the wall. So he's not really creating anything. Yeah. Um, he's taking art that he liked and imagining that it's part of him and his story and then projecting that onto this woman that he's created. Yeah. And I think that that's a, even a separate and also interesting element of the self analysis, self introspection that I think Charlie Kaufman was doing here is that. So I think the first thing I was talking about was from the, like kind of like a, through a feminist lens. I think the second, second one is just through a broader, like, I don't know what lens it would be, but just a broadens out to like, what does it mean to create things? And if you're what you're creating, can't you truly create anything original if everything is taken, everything mm-hmm. you're inputting or everything you're outputting is a result of all the inputs from other media and art and stuff that you've taken in? And I think it's it is Kaufman kind of examining what it means to to create a story when again so much so many of the elements of the story that you're creating come from other elements that other people have created and this movie even it's it's it becomes super meta textual or super 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 uber duper meta in the sense <laughs> that this movie is in an, in the movie where he examines what that even means the movie itself does that thing mm-hmm. by having all, by literally using all of these elements of which maybe you couldn't even do this examination without the movie itself being victim of the thing it's examining because that's or examining because that's kind of the whole point but like i said all of the elements all of so much of the dialogue and the things said in this movie are literally just pulled wholesale from other stuff and just copied and pasted into this movie uh in, in a way that is rearranged and made relevant by the exploration that this is movie is doing it's very fascinating. I could talk about this movie forever. I don't, I, <laughs> like I said, I really was kind of hesitant going in. I wasn't sure how much I was going to like it. Uh, Cause just generally speaking, as I said, in the prequel surrealism doesn't do a lot for me. Uh, although we did talk about in the sequel or in the prequel. And I think this is an example of that. Whereas this is using surrealism to do something right as opposed to just doing surrealism right this is surrealism for the surrealism with a purpose yes (laughs) again is it surrealism is it surrealism (laughs) you can then argue about that and stuff like that i get all that but it is i just i i thought there's so many layers to this movie as we were watching it that i thought was super interesting and i even think and I, i don't remember if i have a note about this that even beyond all of the meta layers and everything going on and all the sort of subtextual stuff that you can pull out of it and the examination exploration it's doing of like filmmakers and storytelling from a, a, a men telling women's stories and all this other stuff that is going on. Uh, it's also kind of just a really effective, creepy movie for most mm-hmm. of it. Like, I think you could enjoy it if you went into this, like expecting something similar to get out, which is kind of how it's set up initially uh, and how it plays out for most, you know, the first two thirds of the movie or whatever. I think I think you, the movie operates totally fine in that framework until you get to like the last 20 minutes. And yeah. then I have a feeling that's when it would completely lose people. Yeah, I think it would lose people throughout because it is really wordy and heavy and there's a lot like dense and there's a lot going on. I can imagine people just kind of tuning out. Mm-hmm. But I will say that was another element that I thought was super fascinating is that I you don't even have to remember or pay attention that closely to the specific things everybody is saying. This movie is very like vibes based. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's very like there are all of these big long speeches and 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 dialogue back and forth that's very dense and referential and and you you would need to have a, a, a an encyclopedic knowledge of literature and film and and music to understand every reference and everything everybody's talking about but you also don't really need to know yeah. any of that stuff to get what you yeah. need to out of this movie because it doesn't really actually matter yeah none of it matters yeah and i think that's another part to it is it's all kind of just bluster it's all just um sound and fury indicating nothing yeah. or whatever uh and I, yeah, it's just fascinating i ugh. well to contrast that with the book for a minute real quick here i personally i found the movie to be like much more thematically layered that not that the book is not yeah um but the book I felt was more of an examination of like, I guess, like the various ways in which we can be failed by society, but not really. Yeah. Um. The main reason that I get that read on the book is because of the sections of dialogue that are not replicated in the movie yeah. um, with the two unnamed people discussing this suicide that has taken place. And they're very like casually and cruelly dismissive of it um, where they're like, Oh, that's terrible that that happened. Good thing. We're normal. Right. Oh yeah. Um, so the book, I get more of um, this vibe of it being about like, this examination of like loneliness um and uh this this like man who for one reason or another ended up in this place where he didn't have anybody and this is what happened to him right basically yeah and which is there in the movie but I, yeah the movie yeah. Just has also has a lot else yeah the movie has a lot more going on in my opinion <laughs> on top of that that kind of initial story that you that you're describing yeah interesting all right Whew, that was a lot but we're gonna get into what katie thought now was better in the book you like to read oh yes i love to read what do you like to read everything so i just have a couple things here um a lot of stuff that i originally had in all of my sections i moved or took out because they were in your questions as per the usual so i only have a couple things in this segment um i liked the part with the poem reciting in the mm -hmm. movie but i i i did think it went on like 20 percent too long yeah, it could have. Yeah, um, i long. was i was really into it in the beginning and then i kind of like lost interest and yeah. stopped paying attention and then came around back around at the end yeah. um so I, I and i understand that it's like an actual poem right purportedly yeah uh, i did not look up the poet or anything no. maybe it was invented for the movie like the like the fake robert yeah Zemeckis there is film. other things that are yeah. um but i did i did think it just went on like like a smidge too long there was a line from the book that I really enjoyed uh, close to the beginning where the narrator is thinking about um, Jake um, and how he's funny. Uh, she's like, he's funny. Uh, but then she thinks, I still didn't think he was as funny as me. Most men I meet aren't. <laughs> Which is also, <laughs> that, that's very funny, but it's also very 
within the context of the movie works or within the context of the story works twice. Yes. Because if that is in fact, Jake essentially writing that line, that's his thought about women. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you flip it and then you realize this is Jake saying that, I think that's Jake saying that about women, which adds an extra layer of interesting Mm -hmm. examination of like misogyny and stuff there. Anyways. Um, And then the last thing um, that I kind of wish would have been included, although the movie is already pretty dense and has a lot going on as it is, uh, is that the narrator recounts this spooky story about her childhood. Yeah. Um, which again, we are to presume that maybe this is something Jake remembers or yes. invented or what have you. Um, but she recounts this story about being a kid um, and like sleeping in bed and then waking up and seeing a man standing outside her bedroom window. But already horrifying. I know. One of my worst nightmares. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the man is so tall that his head is actually above the top of the window. I hate it. So she never it. sees his face. I hate it. I'm gonna have nightmares about that tonight. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I thought I like I was like, that was pretty effectively oh, God, yes. creepy. Horrifying. Uh yeah. Don't like it. No, thank <laughs> you. All right. Uh short list, but like Katie said, we touched on a lot of this stuff already. So let's find out now what Katie thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I like the wallpaper motif yes. that they use throughout. It's very Charlotte Perkins Gilman. I love it. What is that? Uh, that's the, the lady who wrote the, the yellow wallpaper. That's what I figured. <laughs> I just was making sure dude, yeah. that I, that's what I thought it was. Okay. Um, there's a brief moment after they get to his parents' farm where they're going into the barn where the sheep are, and you see there's, like, a second-story door yep. that just, like, slowly blows open yep. behind them. Yep. And, yep. Like, it's so mundane, but it was so creepy. Absolutely. I saw the same thing and had the same thought, yeah. Uh, I liked the moment. Um, so we, we've just heard the story about the pigs yes. and the maggots yeah. and how the pigs were being eaten alive, and then they go in to have dinner, and uh, the mom is like, everything on the table is from the farm. And it immediately cuts to a giant ham. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you can even see Lucy's reaction. She yeah, kind of makes like, a face. Perfect. Like, uh, yeah. I, I liked the decision of um, on the movie's part to move the story about how uh, Jake and Lucy met. Uh, the story about the bar trivia night to during dinner with his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, this story is also recounted in the book, but it's just something that Lucy is thinking over as they're driving. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a good decision to make it part of the dinner conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the moment when dinner ended um, and they're like, they're all like, oh, we're stuffed. Couldn't need another bite. Let's yeah. clear away these plates. And then they're picking up completely full plates of food yeah. that just haven't been touched. Uh, we talked a little bit about during the drive back, um, Lucy doing the the movie review. Um, but I liked her random accent changes. Yes. During this part, like when she's doing the the movie review, she does kind of like a transatlantic yeah. accent. Yeah. And then there's a brief moment a little bit later 
Um, and maybe I imagined it. No, I don't think you did. I feel. Um, like but there was a brief moment later where she randomly, for a few lines, has like an Irish accent. Yeah. It sounded like to me. I also thought I remember her doing a, a briefly like a almost like a, a Minnesotan like a yes. northern accent. Yeah. Like a like a like a Fargo accent. Yeah. Briefly. Yeah. It was very very interesting. Um, it kind of gave me the vibe that like. There's a glitch in his fantasy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely yeah, it, and again, it's all the different things bleeding kind of into mm-hmm. this story. Um, the argument that they have in the car about the song "Baby, It's Cold Outside." Yes, it was just so deeply funny to me because it was, it's, it was just it was just every argument you've ever seen on the internet yep. about that song. Yeah. Which is a very nuanced conversation yeah. to have, and nobody wants to talk about it like it's nuanced. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a moment where uh, when Lucy is talking to the janitor um, about Jake, and we we kind of get, like I said earlier, like the backstory that feels a little bit closer to what actually probably happened. Um, and she says... I stopped by with my girlfriend and he wouldn't stop staring at me. And then a second later, she says that she wished that her boyfriend was there. And I like the kind of potential inconsistency mm-hmm. here. Like, did she have a girlfriend? Did she have a boyfriend? Is she just using girlfriend like colloquially to refer to her friend who's a girl? Yeah. Um. I, I like the little bit of like mystery there. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. Uh, the dream ballet dancers. I really liked them being idealized versions yeah. of of both of these characters. Uh, they're younger, they're thinner, they're prettier. They're wearing similar clothes, but the clothes are like better cut and yeah. look more put together. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's one of those things that it would almost happen just by the nature of the fact that they hired professional yes. ballet dancers <laughs> yes. who are going to be fitter than, you know. But I think it works really yes. well in yeah. context yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and my last note is something that um, was in the book that the movie dropped, which was four pages of the line, what are you waiting for, repeated over and over. Um, and I, I'm sorry, but stuff like that is why I generally don't care for literary fiction. Fair enough. I can just. Uh, You're not going to read House of Leaves anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> it's just that when I can feel the writer feeling smugly clever yeah i don't like it it turns me off uh what if i would argue that that moment is almost the exact same moment that we you love in twilight where it's just the months <laughs> as you turn the pages <laughs> yeah but Stephanie I, I Meyer was feeling that. very similarly smug about that <laughs> moment when she i love it. that because it's smugly clever in the way that a teenager would feel smugly clever and this to me felt more like i was sitting in my master's level creative writing class listening to somebody listen yes listening (laughs) the most obnoxious person you've ever met wax poetic about their mediocre short story yeah that's fair (laughs) fair enough all right let's get to a handful of things that the movie nailed As I expected, practically perfect in every way. A lot of the opening voiceover that we get from Lucy is directly from the book. Uh, not verbatim um, and not like all together, yeah. but there are like there are a lot of lines that were pulled from different places in mm-hmm. the book. 
Um, Jake being super pretentious, super pretentious. just the worst. The worst. Uh, definitely something from the book. Uh, there's a moment on the drive where they see um, like an abandoned, I think in the book it's specifically like burned down mm. house, um, but there's a brand new swing set out front. Yeah, they talk front. about that in the movie. Yeah. Um, and and Luke, Jake yeah. has like a whole explanation for why yeah. that would be the case. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, maybe they're renovating the house and they wanted to have a swing set for the kids to play on while they were renovating the house or whatever. And she's like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> As is another one of those great moments in the movie of Jake having to like cover for this story he's creating yeah. that doesn't all the pieces don't line up and work. So he just kind of has to like, yeah, which again is even just pulled back from the the movie itself is just kind of commenting on the actual act of writing, of creating mm -hmm. and the, and the way in which those inconsistencies can crop up and how you deal with them and all that sort of stuff is all very very fascinating yeah uh jake giving her his two big slippers at yes. the house um yeah. and I, I liked that the movie brought that back at the end with the janitor the janitor with the yeah, yeah. i thought that was fun uh the way that jake is immediately weird and cagey about his parents mm -hmm. and like Kind of uh, acting like he's embarrassed of them, and he's also mad at them about it yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that that was another. Again, that's that whole scene where, in isolation, that whole the whole visit to the parents works as its own thing. Whereas that moment feels you've you've been even if it's like a friend or something who hates their parent doesn't even yeah. hate their parents, but like is is so weirdly obnoxious about everything their parents do. Like you'll be over there, and your friend is like. Oh, we're mom, oh, shut up, mom! I don't care. Like they're just like yeah. super, and the mom, the parents are being very normal. Yes, <laughs> which to me, to fair in this scene, the parents are weird, but he's like even overreacting to how weird, like even beyond. And I think it's the whole scene is just an amplification. Like his his reaction is an amplification, um, and a, a hyperbolic exaggeration of that experience that we've all had of being mm -hmm. around people with their parents and the way they interact with each other and how awkward that can be. The movie just ramps it up to a 20 billion <laughs> in order to like really put a fine point on that. But it is, it's a, it's a great, mm -hmm. that whole section is really good. Uh, Jake calling her by the wrong name um, during the drive back um, in the book, he calls her Steph and she's like, that's not my name. Yeah. Um, in the movie, she's always had a name that's like some variation on Lucy, Lucy yeah. uh, and then he calls her Ames, Ames yeah. on the like drive Ames. back. <laughs> She's like that does that doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah, but it's, she also questions herself. She's not. She doesn't yeah. even necessarily be like, well, wait, what? Did he? Yeah, she even again because she's she is <laughs> has a loose grasp on reality because she's not real. So she even questions, yeah, her own her own thoughts and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, and my last note here is uh, the kind of inciting incident before the movie truly, truly deviates from the book, um, which is Jake thinking that the janitor is watching them and mm. going into the school to confront him. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. We got a handful of odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. First off, I just want to mention um, that Jake in the movie looks like half the guys I went to college with. Jesse Plemons is great for looking like that guy. Yeah. There's, there's only one person that looks like Jesse Plemons, 
in movies, but there's a million of them in real life, and Jesse Plemons yeah. plays them. Just every kind time. of like the the kind of round pink face and the blonde hair and the little scruffy blonde yeah. beard. Yeah, not like wildly unattractive, but not particularly attractive either. Yeah. Just kind of like a guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could be the guy in your master's level creative writing class. Yeah. Could yeah, be. Yeah. Uh, well, during that drive, there was this great shot. And I don't know if this is what the movie was going for, but I thought it was really interesting. And it reminded me a little bit of kind of like Midsommar or something when they're driving into the. Into Norway or wherever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the camera does that spin, like flip f- spins upside down or whatever. But in this instance, they're driving and it's snowing and there's a combination of the score and the camera is looking straight up into the sky as they're driving. And so the snow is rushing past the camera, like flying past the camera. And then we have this very like ephemeral floaty score happening in this moment. And it almost creates the, the, the visual illusion of like, I was imagining like looking out a porthole on a submarine diving underwater with like the Mm. bubbles going past. And it felt like we were diving like, like deep diving into this, yeah world yeah. like i don't know if that's what the movie's going like, for very claustrophobic yeah very cla- and, and the movie intentionally that's part of the reason they use the the academy aspect ratio which we talked about in the prequel which is the f- one one two nine whatever it is um almost four three but not quite um like more square uh aspect ratio was to create that sense of claustrophobia mm-hmm. was one of the main reasons they did it um, but then, uh, but yeah, that particular shot again with the score and everything going on, it, it it feels like you're you're traveling to another world, which you are, which I thought was a really interesting kind of clever thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also this great moment, and it happens a couple times in this drive, but there's a great moment early on, and it's the first time it happens, and it sent chills down my spine where she's looking, she she he's, she's like, oh, I wrote a new poem, and he goes, oh, what's it called? And she says the name of the poem, and as soon as she says it. She turns and looks over her shoulder out the back window and the shot of her doing that, she looks right into the camera, mm-hmm. almost like she feels somebody watching her. Yeah. And it's us. And it's fascinating because uh, then there's another line. There's another moment right after that where during the poem recitation, at one point, she there's a line in the poem about somebody having or the, the the narrator having x-ray vision or something like that and when she says that line she looks down into the camera and like finishes the next few lines looking into the camera very interesting i thought all that stuff was really effective and creepy and cool and just interesting i need you to confirm for me if if this happened or if i imagined it so i'm hoping you remember this um but when they initially get inside the house and jake is like walking around and like calling for his parents was it ever so slightly cranked up like sped up yeah it could be i will say i don't remember this particular moment and i don't remember thinking that but i also Uh just may not have noticed it just like the way he was moving it looked like it was just ever so slightly sped up like it looked very unnatural I'm sure that probably is the case because that was my next note was that there are a lot of subtle editing techniques in this movie. And I'd actually almost describe them as anti techniques in the sense that this movie is intentionally edited, edited wrong Mm -hmm. uh, in order to create this sense of unease and create that, that atmosphere of surrealism. There are lots of lots of tons of moments constantly throughout the movie where shots are cut short or are, placed in an order that doesn't quite feel right or sounds are cut 
abruptly or scenes transition strangely and it's it's always and i i don't have a lot of specific examples but there's lots of moments throughout the film and it happens so much that i, I it would again it's it, every few minutes there's something where if you understand the the language of film and how mise-en-scene it works it these are this is wrong quote unquote the yeah. way this movie is edited is incorrect uh, but again, that is clearly very intentional because the story itself is wrong. This 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 story isn't real. Uh, and we're jumping through this kind of, um, again, this this uh, dreamlike surreality. And so, yeah, the story the and the mise-en-scene doesn't flow the way that a film should. So I accidentally said mise-en-scene there when what I actually meant was montage, which is the process of selecting editing and putting together a film it's actually the like the shot choice the length of the shots everything that goes into editing a film is montage and i said mise-en-scene which is a similar but different concept in film they're both m words so i got them mixed up but there you go mm -hmm. and i thought and so it wouldn't surprise me if what you're saying there, describing of him being slightly sped up were to be the case because there's tons of stuff like that throughout the yeah. movie where there'll be little clips where something is run backwards or something is looped weird or so they did all kinds of stuff like that. So again, I'm sure that that moment you're talking about probably they probably did do that. Uh, something I liked in both the book and the movie um, are the really subtle inconsistencies in the details. Mm -hmm, yeah, And we've we talked earlier. a little bit about this, but there was one specific example that I really liked um, where Lucy uh, she initially says, it reminds me of the house I grew up in. And then a few minutes later, it's, we didn't have a basement living in an apartment. Yeah. And then later on, she says, I grew up on a farm. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing, like, with her her career. Yeah. She's uh, doing research on rabies. And then it's and something like at slightly one point adjacent. It's, it's gerontology. Yes. And um, then... Yeah, that when they're talking to the parents, she yeah. says gerontology, which is, like, the study of old people or whatever. And then later, she's a physicist. And, mm -hmm. again, it's just still these details throughout lose track of again because it's it's just some old guy creating the story in his head and the details yeah and it, and it kind of changes based on what's the best fantasy at the time in the moment yeah. yeah yeah it's really cool um speaking of though there was a little moment that i enjoyed uh when they're talking to his parents um and his mom says quantum psychics yes <laughs> instead of quantum physics quantum physics <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I mentioned this earlier, but I love when she does go in and explore Jake's childhood bedroom. The the door to his bedroom, his childhood bedroom, literally has a sign on it that says Jake's childhood bedroom, mm -hmm. um, which again in the moment is very meta. And, and again, because it's just like, why would you have that sign there? Like, obviously, this is there for us as the audience. But yeah. the movie knows that. But then the movie justifies it by having it be a thing that his dad or that they put on the door so that uh, his dad who's suffering from dementia at this point, again, because this timeline's all accelerated and wild and strange and his parents are rapidly aging throughout the course of the evening and moving around in time. And so his dad is dealing with dementia. So they label the doors so he knows mm -hmm. where, what certain things are. Uh, and so that's the reason quote unquote, that the door says jake's childhood bedroom but it's obviously not the real reason the door yeah. says childhood <laughs> bedroom that's the reason that the movie comes up with eventually for why it says jake's <laughs> childhood bedroom which i i just love it uh it's just again it just lampshades 
how strange everything is and what they're doing there in a way that I found really, really fun. Another moment that we both had a hearty laugh at (laughs) on the drive back. And I don't even remember what specifically he says, but as soon as Jake referenced David Foster Wallace. He just says his name and we both went, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) We both like chuckled and groaned at the same time. Uh, because we're like he would be that uh-huh. he is the guy yep. who would have uh, uh, be obsessed with David Foster Wallace. And this isn't even a dig. I've never read any David Foster Wallace. I know very little about David Foster Wallace, except oh. that some of the most obnoxious people <laughs> yes. you will ever meet love David Foster. I, Wallace. I too, admittedly, <laughs> know very little about David Foster Wallace, but I know far too much about the kind of people that are into <laughs> David Foster Wallace. Yeah. That's and again, obviously not a blanket statement. There's probably plenty of people who love David Foster Wallace who are perfectly fine people, perfectly lovely people. But it is one of those. Uh, it's one of those, you know, red little little flags, little red flag, yeah, potentially. Um, and I had my last note, and this is kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. But I really, when we were getting towards the end of the movie, I was like, I, I really did like this way more than I expected. I. And, and I think a point of comparison um, is that this movie is basically the exact same length as 2001. Mm-hmm. It's like two hours and 15 minutes, which I think is literally like the exact same length. And I've also seen people talk about this movie being boring and meaningless and a slog and not interesting or fun to watch. And I could not disagree more. I found this movie enthralling the whole time. Maybe not the entire time. There are mm-hmm. m- moments here and there, lulls that are... You know, sure, like the poem goes on too long, stuff like that. There's a couple beats here and there where it's not like completely enraptured. But for the most part, I would say like 95% of the time, I was completely enthralled with everything going on in the film and and trying to piece together what's going on and the mystery of all of it. I thought it was fascinating. And I just think it's really interesting. Well, I was actually, it's funny because I was listening to a streamer that I watch who usually I, I generally agree with a lot of his movie takes, but not necessarily everything. But he hates this movie. Hmm. hates it uh and his the joke when he was talking about it was that he you know uh, that he didn't go to film school and learn to appreciate you know boring ass fucking movies or something like that but he does like other boring movies so it's it's same kind of thing like with 2001 where it's obviously very subjective and personal taste and stuff but one of his criticisms is that he thought he likes he's like i like heady you know philosophical content contemplative movies but i like them to also like not be incredibly boring and uninteresting and unengaging. And I was like, oh, I, I couldn't disagree. with I that know. More. I, and I thought that was such a strange, again, obviously it's all subjective. We said similar things about 2001 that other yeah. people would not say that about. So, but I, it's just compared, comparing something like this to 2001. I thought this movie was incredibly funny. Like at times, like it's, it, there's some moments and, and throughout the film, I, I would say within every 10 minutes or so, we got an audible laugh. Mm-hmm. or chuckle out of us you know to the point where we we, we like made noise <laughs> or whatever uh, at something happening in the movie and then apart from that i just the mystery and the suspense and the thriller aspect of it for the first two acts or whatever i think works so well on its own that yeah. even again even if you're not picking up everything the movie's putting down you can still just be like yeah what is going on here trying to solve this mystery I guess the thing that it could come to is at the end, again, is what I was saying earlier. I can understand at the end being like, what? I don't, what -hmm. was the point of any of that? Like I could see once the ending happens and you don't get any answers, you don't get any like, or you do, but you can, they're, they're vague, muddy answers. They're not like, 
kind of, they're not the answers you get. Because if you're watching this movie thinking you're watching Get Out, but just a different version of Get Out or something like that, you know, like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. It kind of is, but it's a it's a much muddier one. Whereas uh, the ending of something like Get Out or Twilight Zone episode, there's like a very satisfying yeah. conclusion and payoff to some extent. Whereas this movie doesn't really have that. So I can understand why general audiences would be like, yeah, it's boring. And I totally understand. And we talked about this in the prequel. Why on the Google reviews, this movie has um, a bunch of reviews. It has like a 2.3 out of 5 cumulative but it is almost entirely five-star reviews and entirely one-star reviews. Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense to me because I would give this movie (laughs) five stars, but my parents would give this movie one star. So many people would watch this movie and go, what the... And again, it's not even a a dig at those people. I just think it's a very specific type of thing Mm -hmm. that you have to be very, like, want... It has to be your kind of thing (laughs) to watch it, and I understand why it wouldn't be a thing that a lot of people would like, but I fucking adored this movie so uh you did you mentioned um a couple times uh it's still working on the level of like a thriller or horror movie and my last thing that i wanted to mention was that i think one of the things that is most clever about this story to me um and this goes for both the book and the movie is that despite it being pretty clear what's going on from the beginning you still get that anxious horror movie feeling of like Oh, she could get out. <laughs> she could she could still make it out. Absolutely. You're all the way up till the end. You're trying to figure out a way that this character that you know doesn't exist. Yeah. And isn't real can somehow survive and conquer this asshole. Like you want her to win somehow. <laughs> yeah. And you're like there's surely there's a way that this can work out in the end. And obviously you can't. But it is because uh, it's not the point. But it is very effective in that sense that yeah you're the whole time you're rooting for it and you do think all the way until the very end that this maybe there's a solution yeah, maybe there's a loophole of <laughs> maybe, some sort maybe there's a loophole where she just gets to go live her life yeah yeah oh well that's gonna do it before we get to the final verdict we wanted to remind you you can do us a giant favor by heading over to facebook twitter instagram or goodreads follow us like us subscribe to us whatever you got to do on those platforms so you can see our posts because we would love to hear love 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 to hear what you all have to say about i'm thinking of ending things so make sure you look out for our feedback posts on all the social media platforms for this movie and get your comments in so we can talk about them on the next prequel episode. You can also do us a favor by heading over to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're watching, or sorry, listen to our show. Drop us a uh, a nice review and drop us a five-star rating. It would be very helpful. We'd appreciate that. And then finally, if you want to really support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash thisfilmislit. Give us a few bucks a month there. Uh, you get different stuff at each level. It's outlined in uh, over on Patreon basic breakdown two dollars a month you get early access uh ad free that kind of stuff uh reading notes handful of other things five dollars and more a month you get uh all of that plus bonus content episodes where every month we put out a bonus content episode which we'll have one out soon uh we just watched drop dead gorgeous a few days ago we're going to be recording that episode here probably tomorrow uh, and that episode should be up in the next few days or when you're listening to this will be up in the next few days Uh, And then also at the $15 level, you get all that stuff. Plus you get priority recommendation status. uh, And where you, if you want us to hear us talk about something, you give us 15 bucks a month, recommend it. And we will throw it on our list as early as we can. And this was a patron request from. This was a request from Jeff Niederhofer. There you go. Thank you very much, Jeff, for supporting us and for recommending this movie. It made 
for a fascinating discussion. Katie, it's time for your final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterward. Overall, I'm thinking of ending things is a pretty faithful adaptations. There are changes ranging from subtle to major at the end, but as a whole, it's pretty faithful. And the movie is definitely successful in capturing the creepy, surreal mood of the book. However, I think the movie's ability to utilize visuals gives it an edge over the book. The surrealist nature of the story is more effective thanks to editing tricks and the movie's increased ability to play with the way that in dreams, the setting can change at random and time can pass in a strange way, and it can feel both unsettling and somehow completely normal at the same time. So while I enjoyed the book, the movie did a better job of capturing the surrealism of dreams or fantasies or hallucinations for me. And for that reason, primarily, I'm giving this one to the movie. And then I, just to tag on a little bit more, and to go back what you said earlier, I think the other thing that really stuck with you that you, just to kind of reiterate what you said, um, was that you you felt like there were maybe a few more layers to the movie. Yeah. Thematically. Yes, than what you yeah. I felt like, yeah, it was more thematically layered than yeah. the book was. Like, again, not that the book is not. Yes. Um, and maybe it's just that I enjoyed the movie's thematic yeah. layers more. Yeah, because they are even if there are similar amount, quote unquote, of layers in the book, they could just be different yeah. things that it's discussing thematically uh, and just, you know, found the movie more interesting. Yeah, interesting. All right. The movie wins. Uh, it wins for me, too. I Like I said, I, I adored this movie. I thought it was fascinating and fantastic. Um, and I would actually this is one where I could actually see myself watching it again. Like, mm hmm. Not, you know, not soon, but like in a year, <laughs> couple years, I could be like, I would like to go back because I bet there's a lot of mm -hmm. there's yeah, so many probably more stuff you would catch more stuff you would catch second more details watch. you would catch. Uh, and just to kind of, again, watch it for some of the interesting editing techniques and stuff they do. I just think it would be a, I think it definitely has some rewatch appeal for sure. So, yeah. Anyways, that's going to do it uh, before we wrap up. Katie, what's coming up next? Well, up next, we are getting started on our summer, summer series. 2023. Yeah. Um, and you probably saw the announcement. Yes. Um, if you follow us on social media anywhere, um, we already put out our, our graphic our tease, tease. Yeah. for this. But we will be covering the Divergent series. Is that what it's called? Or does it have a broader name? I'm pretty sure it's just called the Divergent series. that's what the series. first book is called, yes. right? Okay, so yeah. And yeah, with like Hunger Games, or just right. called the Hunger Games trilogy or whatever. Yeah, I didn't know if maybe it had like a. I don't yeah. think so. But I think I you're right. I think wrong. it is a Divergent series, but maybe it does. Yeah. Either way, we're covering Divergent. That'll be the next uh, next episode and the first installment of our 2023 summer series. Uh, but we'll be previewing that and kind of talking about it a little bit in our next prequel episode, as well as hearing what all of you had to say about. I'm thinking of ending things, and maybe learning something. We'll see. Until that time. Guys, gals, non binary pals, and everybody else. Keep reading books, keep watching movies, and, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.